Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's going to get really sweaty. I'm currently topless, by the way. It's Friday, which means it's time for a slightly delayed Front Free Q&A podcast with me, Adam Bolt, with the one and only Chris Hennage, all the way from the United States of America. Evening. And Dave O'Brien. I think it's fair to say. Are you still hungover, Dave, from uh, from your celebrations? Mm, I think I'm all right now. Just I was hungover about this over. morning, for sure. So yeah. it, was, it was a good two-day hangover. So I, as you can tell, I did celebrate it pretty hard. Yeah, pretty we, hard. we were sort of trying to arrange a time yesterday. We, we, we couldn't quite get to it and... You know, you, you weren't in a great state, I think it's fair to say, Dave. We were playing football yesterday, and I think out of a 40-minute mm. match, you probably played about four or five minutes, I think you managed. Yeah, but I made, I made a big, big impact. My highlights reel would be pretty nice, but again, didn't really play that long. Yeah, you were incredibly hungover, hence this delayed podcast. Dave wasn't quite up to recording yesterday, but to be fair, there was reason to celebrate. Manchester United won the Europa League. They beat Ajax 2-0 in the final. We're going to be discussing it all in part one before in part two, talking some transfer rumours. The window isn't even open yet and moves are being made. Bernardo Silva on his way to Manchester City today. We'll be talking about that as well as some of the other rumours doing the rounds before in part three answering your questions as always on a Thursday. But first Dave, let's talk about that Europa League final. I mean, a lot made before the game about how Manchester United's season was all coming down to one game. This risk that Jose Mourinho took putting all the eggs in the Europa League basket, but in the end, a risk that was rewarded. I don't think it was. I don't think it's risky. I think at the end of the season, it became the priority in a way. Um, and if you looked, maybe from the the quarterfinals, you look at the United lineup in the Europa League. It was actually the the best team. Um, and in a way, he rested players in the Premier League, or you know, he took his foot off the pedal a bit in the Premier League. And in the last six games, Man United. I think they've only won one of the last six Premier League games, which is pretty atrocious. Um, you know, and you think if they'd converted two of those draws into into wins and um, won the other game, they would have got into the top four. So it's an interesting one, but it is all games, all all the eggs in one basket. But it's a basket that get, gives you Champions League football, and it's something that is said at the start of the season that it could be a very viable option for Manchester United to get into the Champions League because the Premier League is very competitive this season. United's form in the Premier League hasn't been good enough through the mid part of the season, so why not focus on the Europa League? But it was all on that, like you said. The season would be a success if they won this game, but it'd be a massive failure if they didn't. But mm. they did. Mourinho won the game and tactically he was pretty decent. Well, talk to me about how he approached this game then, because I mean, some may call it a tactical masterclass. Some, as I saw on Twitter, accusing Mourinho of uh, parking the bus against an under-23 side in a European final day. So I think what Ajax are, right? You look at Ajax before the game, um, they're a very strong team, base 4-3-3 possession. They like to play through midfield. They like their forwards to come to the ball, pick up the ball, turn and combine with each other. The likes of Kasper Dolberg bringing in Traore and obviously getting the ball to Eunice as well. What Man United did, they didn't park the bus. What United did, they sat in a medium block in the middle of the pitch. They played a very high line, which um, was allowed to do that because no Ajax player was running them behind, which is a problem of their, of their system against United. And it allowed them to press quite high. United went man-to-man in midfield, um, which meant that Deverson Sanchez, who I think is a wonderful defender and is going to be one of the best centre-backs in world football, and De Ligt, who's 17 years old in a Europa League Cup final, obviously going to be up there as well, had most of the ball for Ajax. And that's what you want when you want to play these systems. You know, you think about United under Louis van Gaal. When United struggled was when they didn't get the ball into midfield under van Gaal, when they had possession, when 
you know, Chris Smalling was complete the most passes or Phil Jones was. And I think it's this this trend, you can beat a possession-based side if you press them the right way. And Lou Van Gaal's Man United, they could get done the same way. Whereas if a team engaged them in the middle of the park and shut the guys down, it was game over. And that's what exactly what Mourinho did. And I thought it was brilliant. Marouane Fellaini, what a performance. And again, it's coming up in big games. Like you think the League Cup semi-final um, scored against Hull in the first leg. In the final, was was vitally important there. Go back to last season's FA Cup quarterfinal. We scored against West Ham, scored the winner. Or scored the first goal and they won 2-1. Semi-final again, I think he grabbed an assist, grabbed an assist in the final. And we're seeing that again, got an assist in this final. And it's this thing now that Marouane Fellaini can't be seen as this, you know, can't be seen negatively. You know, the fans that boo Marouane Fellaini against Spurs when I watch United at home, you know, they can go and shove it up their arse, to be quite frank. You support your players, you never boo your players, full stop. That's what United did before this time. This is the first time I've ever seen Man United boo players against Spurs in the Premier League. And I was upset about that. That really annoyed me. Mm. And this has come back. Marouane Fellaini's come back. And he's absolutely dominated his opponent. Lasse Schoener, who is a deep-line playmaker for Ajax, everything goes for him. What Fellaini did on him was forced him in wide. He couldn't play forward passes. He couldn't play those passes into the feet of Ziyech, into the feet of Eunice, into the feet of Dolberg, into the feet of Traore. That's how Ajax play. That's how Ajax get through the thirds. And Marouane Fellaini did a man-to-man job on him. It was brilliant. In terms of um, without the ball, Fellaini you know, won five tackles out of uh, ten attempted, which is brilliant work for you know, a big, big fella. And also, United went long to him. They bypassed the press, and that was the big thing before the game, is what I said. United can't get caught by this press. It's one of the best presses in European football, and they didn't do that. They just went long to Fellaini. Simple as that. Mm. I mean, uh, Fellaini the man of the match? Uh, 100,000% man wow. of the match. Wow. By a country mile. I thought he was absolutely dominant. I thought Paul Pogba played really well. Um Took the game on, as, um, you know, his selection of his passes was very good. Went to recycle the ball, went to look over the top. United were either went to play Marcus Rashford through in the channels or they went to Marouane Fellaini. It was a simple tactic. Um, and I actually just couldn't deal with that. thought Paul Pogba did well, but Fellaini, um, I thought Blind was fantastic at the back. Mm. Darmian had a really good game. I thought everyone played quite well. Like, it was a really good team performance. I think it's the best team performance we've seen Man United have played this season. And again, engaging the team in the middle of the park, not sitting back, not going to a back six, engaging them high up. If Mourinho can take this approach against the top six sides next season, he's going to, do it. He's going to have a much better record than he did this season. Here's the thing, Chris. Uh, I mean, maybe I'm naive, maybe I'm idealistic, but I can't help but feel in Mourinho's style, this sort of reactive style, setting up to frustrate opponents as opposed to, you know, uh, instilling his own philosophy or, or style almost. For a club as big as Manchester United and as storied as Manchester United, I can't help but it shouldn't be that way. You know, after the game, he came out and said, you know, there's a lot of poets in football, they don't win trophies. This was a victory for people who stop opponents, exploit their weaknesses. I feel like there should be more to this Manchester United team let's not forget the most expensively assembled squad of all time. Should the United fans, should should we not expect more from, from this team, Chris? I think it's a little bit idealistic to, to go that way um, and, and say, look, we've spent a lot of money, we should be able to dictate games and, and impose ourselves. I think Mourinho, this back end of the season, like since, say, March or whatever, has become very Machiavellian. He, he cares only about getting into the Champions League and winning trophies. And so what that means is he approached this final as he has numerous finals before it and asked his opponent to take the first few swings and then picked shots based off that. I don't think it was a very entertaining game for a neutral. I don't equally think that he was some tactical innovator that has has totally outthought his opponent. I think Ajax are a little bit inflexible at times in the way that they play. They've got a beautiful way of playing. I don't see a huge ability to change that up. I mean, Dahlberg's a good example of that. He likes to come deep. He likes to operate in that position that we'd consider a false nine. I think Dave makes an astute point in saying that the, the line was a little bit higher. And really what you needed to be doing is you needed to be spinning in behind there. Maybe Bose could have put David Neres on or, or someone like that. Again, that's that's all inconsequential at this stage. I think what has to happen with Manchester United moving forward is because of that money, they have to become more adaptable. And so, yes, they can play this way. They can use Fellaini as this sort of battering ram come defensive midfielder. They can play at the back end or the front end, depending on what they want them to do. But I also think they need to be able to, to pass it intricately, pass it quickly and dominate games. Because if you look at the home form where there's been a lot of draws, I would say, yes, there's been some inspired goalkeeping performances. I look at Tom Heaton for Burnley. But there's also been a number of games where, really, Manchester United just haven't clicked in an, in an attacking sense. 
and that's where things I think have to improve. It's it's really inconsequential to lament the way they handled this final because, firstly, they won. Hmm. Secondly, that's all that that really matters. You know, referred to point one. But as a whole, Dave, would you like to see this Mourinho style almost evolve next season? Would you like to to see more than this sort of ends justifies the mean approach? This sort of almost sense that United are playing with the handbrake on in some ways. Would you like to see that? go to another level because there's so much optimism now around the club obviously qualifying for the Champions League yes two bits of silverware I don't know if we can count the, the community shield really three Adam Adam yeah. we won three trophies right. this season yeah sort of three um, trophies but we beat Leicester City yes beat yes. Southampton and we beat Ajax there's three trophies for you mate but there's a lot of optimism do you not feel slightly concerned about Mourinho Star going into next season no, absolutely not. I think in the games where Mourinho has to be pragmatic and dog, uh, dogged, it's is good. That's a good flexibility to have. Why, why are we forgetting that Sir Alex Ferguson used to do that in the Champions League? United were the most successful between 2007 to 2011 in the Champions League because they knew how to counter-attack. They knew how to defend. The semi-final against Barcelona at home, the 1-0 win, the Paul Scholes goal, that was tactically perfect in a defensive sense from Manchester United. College Kiros was massively behind that. Ferguson was massively behind that, sitting off in a 4-4-1-1. It was a brilliant approach. Similar to that, that's how Mourinho sat United off in this final. They've won the final. I think with the players coming in, I think the big thing for United is how to to change the point of the side. So if Pogba becomes the point of the side, like he was in the the Europa League final, where he was dictating the play, that Man United team will be a very exciting Man United team. You think about what Paul Pogba can do on the ball, he can do absolutely everything. Can win tackles, can make interceptions. But going forward, unbelievable skill on the ball. Ability to dribble past his opponents, get into the penalty area, score goals, create goals. And I think if Paul Pogba can become this hub of this team, the team will be a lot better. The big problem with United, they still, like the games where Chris mentioned that they didn't click, they almost went back to the Louis van Gaal style, where they were playing backwards passes, they weren't uh, moving the ball fast enough through the thirds. And I think that's kind of like where they go to when they struggle in the first 15 minutes of games. When it doesn't click in the first 15, they go back to this previous approach that didn't work at all. And as this team moves away from Louis van Gaal. This team will play better football. Paul Pogba will be the hub of the team. And that'll be a very exciting Manchester United with the signings of Antoine Griezmann or whoever they sign in the attacking midfield. A few centre-halves. Um, you've got a really good side there. You've already got some really exciting attacking players. Mkhitaryan, and Wamata, um, the likes of like Marcus Rashford, Anthony Martial. There's a lot of excitement in there. There's a lot of buzz. But again, it's it's moving away from the previous regime and completely going to a Mourinho side. Mm-hmm. You think of the Chelsea team... Um, wasn't great until they signed Fabregas. Obviously, they signed Fabregas quite early, but when Fabregas wasn't in the team under Mourinho, they were quite poor. Fabregas was the hub of that team. You think of the the Inter team was quite similar. Without Wesley Schneider, they were quite a poor side to watch. So it's one of these things where Mourinho will build it around one player, but if you build that around Paul Pogba, you know, the best young central midfielder in world football, you're on to an absolute winner there. And if you can build it around Pogba and then bring in these other elements of the side, you've got an attacking side that's got a lot of pace in it, that will be able to break and take teams apart on the counter, which is what United do. United's style of play is counter-attacking quickly and attacking. Mm. And I don't think that's an issue. I don't think that these games where United sit off, United play in a it's sort of you know defensive style. Why? You know, it's fine. I think it's you've got to... In a way, it's like kind of evolving the, the fans as well as evolving the players and the, and the squad that this is just the way that you need to win football games sometimes. This is the approach you take to win. Um, and we all like this Barcelona rhetoric that Barcelona play the best football ever. For me, no. I, I prefer the United team in 2008. More direct team, a more fast team, a better counter-attacking team. So it's one of these things where it comes down to your stylistically how you want to watch football. And I quite like these tactical games. I think they're fascinating, really interesting. It was interesting for me. to stum- I stumbled across in the aftermath of this game uh, what I thought was quite a revealing uh, sort of account of, of Jose Mourinho's tactics. It's from... Uh, a book by investigative journalist Diego Torres. It's back in 2014. It was a biography. I don't know if you've heard this one, Chris. It's, it's called The Dark Side of Jose Mourinho. Mm. Uh, He's now, highly critical of Mourinho, isn't he? Very much so. Very much so. Mourinho sort of, you know, tried to dismiss the book, but I thought, you know, there's one particularly uh, revealing section that brought down his approach to the game. Seems quite accurate. Um, apparently, Mourinho has a seven, a simple seven-point plan for winning big games, according to Torres. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one. The game is won by the team who commits fewer errors. Number two, football favours whoever provokes more errors in the opposition. Number three, away from home, instead of trying to be the superior to the opposition, it's better to encourage their mistakes. Four, whoever has the ball is more likely to make a mistake. Five, whoever renounces possession reduces the possibility of making a mistake. 
Six, whoever has the ball has fear. Seven, therefore, whoever does not have it is stronger. That just seems a very, I don't know, it just seems like the wrong way to, not, I'm not saying it's not effective, Dave. Um, obviously, it's incredibly effective in certain circumstances, but that just seems an incredibly negative way to approach the game. And although it's reaped results for Manchester United this season, if he wasn't so obsessed with this negative mindset, maybe Manchester United might actually play some good football as well as winning trophies. I think they've been so successful this season because they followed Mourinho's approach, they followed his tactics. I think the way Mourinho has engaged the game of football, it goes back to this Barcelona and being rejected from Barcelona, being thrown out from Barcelona. He's taken everything he learned at Barcelona and in his career and, and worked out this system that actually in these big games, if you're forcing your opponents into mistakes, that's where the pressure comes. So almost United giving Ajax the ball, it, it was one of these things where it's, it's kind of putting the pressure on them. And these players are young. They have to make the decisions. They have to break down a deep Man United defence. That's, that's stacked in midfield, that's going man-to-man in midfield. These two players, 20-year-old Sanchez and Delit, 17-year-olds, had to break down Manchester United. The two lads at the end, in the last 10 minutes of the game, 80 minutes plus, both of them had shots from long range because that's the pressure that got to them. That was a terrible decision from both players. They wasted possession in the final third for Ajax, but that's the pressure that Mourinho's talking about. It's creating pressure. And I think that's absolutely perfect. Maybe I'm going to start living my life by the seven <laughs> rules of Mourinho. Yeah, just react. You make other people make mistakes and you pounce on them. It's uh, it's effective. It's been effective this season. I mean, Chris, how important do you think this win was? There? Not only in terms of qualifying for the Champions League, which at the end of the day was the main uh, goal almost of winning the Europa League, but in terms of what it means for next season. You know, If reports are now to be believed, Antoine Griezmann will be on his way to Old Trafford sooner rather than later. Now qualification has been secured. And as Mourinho sort of mentioned post match this begins to build the much lauded winning mentality within his squad I, th- I think yeah I think it's important because whenever you win something you look at, at Spurs for example I think they need to win something to, to get to that next level whenever you can collect a trophy and one with, with relevance as well I know people will put in front of the community shield I don't think we can say that about the Europa League that will I think strengthen the mentality of players who were a little bit younger Lingards, Rashfords etc and then also, I think it it just stokes the fire of the culture of the club, which is, is to win things. Because that's, I think, I think it'd be very easy to be cynical about a club's culture when you're not part of of that, be it a supporter or whatever. But for Manchester United, winning is part of of their ethos. The idea that we are the best, we will always be the best. And the truth is, post Ferguson, they they simply haven't been. So the fact they can now say that you know they are one of the best in Europe because they've won the Europa League. The fact that I think that will get them in the Super Cup as well, um, the Champions League, obviously, it, it just opens new doorways for them, and and it goes back to that thing of you know trying to get fourth or, or win the Europa League. I always thought and said on on this podcast that winning the Europa League was the most efficient strategy because the the opposition were not uh, of higher caliber, and you could could do it, I think, fairly comfortably, which I think really mm. is what they've done. Question is though, Dave, who had the better season, uh, Manchester United or Tottenham? A lot of people uh, asking me that one on Twitter. I assume you're mm-hmm. going to say uh, it's Manchester United, two trophies. I am, Adam. I'm also going to say in Marino's reign at Old Trafford, he's won more trophies than Liverpool and Spurs have managed combined in the last 10 seasons. Wowie. So, unfortunately, um, the thing I mentioned on last, last podcast about Spurs needing to look a little bit more at the Champions League... I think if Spurs had done well in the Champions League, I think their team was geared for a Champions League run. Mm. I said to you this morning when we were, were chilling and having a bit of breakfast that um, it is kind of about what Spurs do now and how they build it because they're very much like the Borussia Dortmund of 2013-14. Same style characteristically. I think it's the 13-14 season. Whichever one they got to the final lost to Bayern, maybe 14-15. Uh, but stylistically very similar. Young squad, very aggressive, very good at pressing, very good at taking the game to their opponent. And arguably this was a bit of a mistake from Pochettino to just focus on the league. Yeah, they came second. But Spurs probably would have come in the top four anyway given the uh, inefficiencies of Man United and Arsenal this season. Uh, a run in the Champions League could have done a lot for the club, raising its profile, getting better signings, You know, these younger players being more committed to the idea at Spurs. So in a way, that may be something that Pochettino needs to look at and evaluate whether he does do what he did this season and pretty much bin the Champions League off. 
that group they should have got out of Leverkusen finished mid-table in the um, in the Bundesliga. Yeah, Monaco were a half decent side, but that was at the start of the season where they weren't playing as good football. They were playing in a four-four-one-one, not the four-four-two that they switched to in about um, January the first. So. I think it's one of these things where Spurs missed the trick there. And for mm. me, Mourinho and Manchester United, they failed in the league. They were, you know, too many draws. How many draws? You know, going mm. to that stupid stat where United converted, what, they'd converted, they had 15 draws. Maybe if they'd won 13 of those games, would won 12 of the games, would have won the Premier League. And that's a, that's a goal. That's mm. a single goal. I think, you know, you are forgetting uh, the finishing above Arsenal trophy and the, the putting pressure on Chelsea trophy. That's two trophies. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I agree there, mate. That's, um, that's <laughs> I, think I, I would say, I would say, to, I think Tottenham have got a lot less work to do in the summer. Yeah, I think we're, we're in good shape, Spurs. I think, it, although we didn't win a trophy, I think it was important for Spurs to not only start the season well after after the conclusion to last year, which was obviously so disappointing and, and could have really rocked this team, but also to finish strongly as well. It's something that a lot of people had question marks over. Um, you know, People expecting Spurs to fall away, people questioning them. I think the way Spurs finished stands them in good stead. We've got a fantastic squad. Yes, maybe Carl Walker's going to leave, and there's rumours today about Eric Dyer uh, being a target for Manchester United. But as we've said many times, if we can keep this squad together, I don't think there's there's... There's major rebuilding needed, whereas Manchester United, I think, you know, there's definitely room for improvement there. I mean, as well as Antoine Griezmann, uh, Dave, where do you think the key areas now where Manchester United need to build, where they need to improve going into next season, where they will be expected to not only challenge for their Premier League, but to go far in the Champions League now as well? I think it's it's definitely attacking midfield. I think goals from midfield are vitally important. I think that you know, signing someone of Anton Griezmann's quality, he scores the chances that some of Man United, the Man United players have missed. Um, I think evolving the side as well. You've got Marcus Rashford, you've got Anthony Martial. Are they the right number nine for Mourinho? Because if you're playing Anton Griezmann, he's sort of going to be the main goal scorer. So is it looking that like someone like Belotti is superior in the air, works very, very hard, physical, gives that sort of target man aspect um, for Manchester United. So is it a striker that they need? I'd argue no. I'd say Anthony Martial and Marcus Rashford have the potential to be Man United's number nine and then rotating them whether one of them is playing left midfield or not. So I'm kind of happy with it, with, with striker. Attacking midfield is one there. I don't think we need a right midfielder. I don't think we need left midfield. I think we've got enough cover there. Just Lingard, Mata, Mkhitaryan, um, Martial, obviously Rashford can play there. I think maybe you're looking at a left-back, you're looking at a centre-back. I think they're the two areas that United would need to massively strengthen. So there's three players there, left-back, centre-back, attacking midfield. I did kind of think central midfield for a bit, but I th- I'd, I'd like to have a bit more physicality in there. But also, I, I absolutely have loved what um, Hem- uh, Ander Herrera has done this season. So it kind of puts a bit of doubt in my mind. Do we need another central midfielder? Probably not. I'd love to have someone like Wanyama, some physicality in there to to really break up play. But I don't know if United need that. I think Ander Herrera has just done so well this year that he's kind of pushed that thought to the back of my head. So I think it's three positions for United to be really competitive in the Champions League. And that's that's a big step up from what we've seen this season. Well, speaking of transfers, let's move on to talk some of the deals that are being done today because it's been a big day for transfer rumours. First off, Chris, it's emerged that Manchester City are set to complete the signing of none other than Monaco's Bernardo Silva, £43 million, uh, set to join the club on July the 1st. Uh, with the transfer set to be announced later today. I mean, that's a fantastic signing, isn't it, as well? And to get ahead, potentially in, ahead of the queue of so many other European giants. Yeah, the the fee is, has been all over the shop, everything from 40 to 70. So <clears throat> I'd, I'd be curious to see what that final total looks like. Um, I think he's a very good player, first and foremost. He, <laughs> interestingly enough, reminds me a lot of David Silva, his namesake. Um <laughs> The, the thing I'm curious of is, is where he fits in because yeah. watching him Monaco, he seems to inhabit a similar position to Silva, to David Silva, excuse me. And I just think maybe there are more pressing concerns for City because, again, I, I don't know how much realistically they can spend because FFP comes in and there's this whole kerfuffle about that. I mean, if you talk to, to Monaco's vice president, he'll point to the fact that it's it's really more guidelines than actual forcibly imposed rules. I think, as I say, I think he's a very good player. I think it's building for the future, realistically. And I think what they've likely done is they've looked at the situation and accepted that if they don't move this summer or move now as they're doing, then realistically someone else will steal in. So it's not necessarily a purchase that is a necessity right this second. 
but it's one of those ones that I think you have to make because you know someone else might try mm. if you don't. Well, the, the talk is, Dave, that Benjamin Mendy is set to, to follow Silva in the coming weeks, £40 million, uh, supposedly for the for the Monaco left-back, So, as well as Carl Walker potentially coming in. Those rumours starting to, to gather pace as well. You can sort of see after signing Bernardo Silva, they're going to focus on the areas that, that need to be strengthened. Yeah, I think I think Bernardo Silva. Uh, sorry, Bernardo Silva. Um, Benjamin Mendy would be an absolute fantastic signing for City or to Manchester United. He's been heavily linked to Manchester United as well. Um, but first up, Silva would be absolutely wonderful for City, playing on on the right wing maybe. But again, they've got quite a lot of talent there now. You're thinking they've already got Sterling, they've already got Sane, and they've already got Gabriel Jesus. So they're throwing another player in there, Bernardo Silva. Perhaps having four elite attackers again. Mm. What I feel he struggled a little bit with Bayern Munich was which attackers to go with. You know, whether it was Robin Ribery, uh, Douglas Costa or Kingsley Coman uh, or Thomas Muller, let's say, in these wide areas. So I kind of think that it's a bit of a weird signing for them. Um, it will make sense um, if they want to move David Silva on or the feeling that they want to go to a different style. Can Silva play false nine? Probably yes, but it just seems like a bit of a weird. Well, Mendy fits the bill. Mendy fits the bill. Fantastic attacker going forward. Um, assists. You know, the, the his performance against City itself was brilliant. You know, created that goal in that the, the first goal in that second leg, brilliant run. Um, absolutely did Raheem Sterling. Um, that makes that makes a lot of sense. The silver one just seems like we need to buy him because otherwise somebody else is going to have him type move. So again, City just need to strengthen fullbacks and defensive midfield. They don't really need to. I don't feel like they need to go in the market and sign an attacker for sixty one million. So again, it's a it's a strange policy for Manchester City. Is Pep making the calls? Is the board making the calls? Is the director of football making the calls? It's all a bit muddled. It's an interesting one. Definitely an interesting one. Um, remains to be seen if it goes through. It's supposed to be going through today, uh, like Chris is saying there. Anywhere between 40 and 60 million appears to be the price tag. Uh, and yeah, Mendy and Walker set to follow by the looks of it. Uh, elsewhere, Newcastle, Chris, uh, have apparently set to make a £39 million bid for William Carvalho. Now, this is in the, the Portuguese press. How much stock are we putting in this one? Uh, next to none, unfortunately, um, <laughs> because the story in question cites the British press, British press, excuse me, who in turn cite the Portuguese press, so on and so on and so on, Vicious added cycle. to the 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 fact that uh, at that fee, that's over half, I believe, of, of Rafa Benitez's budget, just his transfer budget. Um, actually, I think his budget's put together all in one, but still, it's half of the, over half of the budget. And I just can't see him doing that. And and equally, I, I, I'm curious to hear maybe Dave's thoughts on this as well. I'm a little bit sceptical about Carvalho. There's there's just something in, in me that says, why has no one else tried to... Because that's not a massive fee for a, a top-end defensive midfielder. City were paying, what was it, 34 for Fernandinho um, a couple of years ago. So you've got to think a little bit of inflation. 39 is not a massive amount. But for some reason, no one's, no one's bit the bait. I, I honestly don't. I don't understand why why nobody's going for him. I think he's one of the best defensive midfielders in, in world football right now, like with the potential to be the best. Sorry, not up there yet, but he has everything: physicality, strength, ability to spin out of a tackle, great left foot, can switch the play. Would be perfect for Manchester City if if Newcastle sign him. It's going to be one of these deals that'll be like Javier Mascarano. Javier Mascarano, wonderfully gifted player, came over to West Ham. West Ham was his first move. Then Liverpool go, and now he's playing for Barcelona. That's going to be what happens to William Carvalho if he moves to Newcastle. He may be there for a season, season and a half. But someone's going to snap him up because, again, it could be down to this this broken leg. I don't know whether that's affected him in his injury record um, in the last year or so. But it just seems like every that turned everyone off that broken leg. And that's kind of like a freak injury. That's a freak accident. So whether uh, Newcastle get him, that'll be an absolute fan. You know, if Newcastle sign William Carvalho, that'll be a brilliant deal. That'll be a sensational bit of business. And Rafa Benitez has done some brilliant work with defensive midfielders in his career. Um, you know, he can think of Casemiro. He's the one that brought Casemiro to Real. It was his idea to, to go down that route, not sign someone else, bring him back from Porto um, and play him. And he's got an eye for defensive midfielders. And I just think William Carvalho, it's a really weird one. Like, what what's gone on? Is it is it a mental thing? Is it, is it agent? It just seems there's got to be something else that we don't know. So it, the injury record that he's had over the last X amount of years, it's that one injury. Put him out for seventy two days. He missed nine nine games for Sporting Lisbon, but that's it. Mm. I just I, I don't understand why nobody's going for him. Seems like the perfect guy for the a perfect Premier League player. Well, one person, uh, one player, maybe perfect for Barcelona. Dave is uh, Ander Herrera. Uh, according to reports Oi. in Spain, uh, sport reporting that the incoming manager 
Ernesto Valverde is going to try and snap him up. I mean, what do you reckon to this? He obviously played under. Nope. Uh, <laughs> you're not. You're not having this. No, go away. You right. just. You just don't want us. Then you know. You don't want to entertain the possibility that you know Barcelona swooping in. That's a. That's an attractive proposition for a player like uh, like Andorra. Absolutely not. He's, he looks like his heart set on staying at Manchester United for the rest of his life, Adam. That's what I want to believe anyway. Future captain. Um, uh, yeah, I think he's a committed player. He's a committed lad. Um, he's he's passionate. You know, staying at Bilbao for so long um, shows that he is a, he's committed. You know, Bilbao is that we all know Basque players can only play for Bilbao uh, from their grandparents. If you've got Basque grandparents, you can play. Um, but I think that gives you some loyalty. And in a way... And Herrera's been Man United's best player this season. Well, he has been, full stop. So why would United let him go? Why would he want to leave United after this? Like, like I said before, this United team is so close to being brilliant. Mm. So why why leave now? Barcelona would be interesting, but have they got players that are like Ander Herrera in there? You could say Rakitic is, is, a, is a similar type of player in Barca's system. He's quite aggressive. He's the guy. Uh, with Valdeverde coming in, I think he's kind of already got that. I think what Barca need is an Iniesta replacement, right? Iniesta hasn't been fit for the entire year. He's had knee injuries. He's, there's rumours that he's got a really de- hip, you know, really bad one. So is that the right guy? Is Ander Herrera going to come in and replace Iniesta? Probably not. So it makes sense. The link makes sense because of uh, you know, Valdeverde and the Bilbao link. But I don't think it's just press nonsense, to be honest. Final bit of transfer tattle, as it were, is uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Aubameyang? Not quite sure how it's pronounced. Uh, he's apparently told. Bama Young is a well. Yeah, that's what they've been saying ways. on uh, BT Sport recently. Ah, they're probably right. To be fair, uh, Bama Young, Chris, has uh, apparently stunned Borussia Dortmund. Um, I'm sure they're not actually that stunned. They probably saw this one coming. He's handed in his transfer request. Apparently, he's saying he's going to leave. I mean, we saw he gave a rather interesting, uh, rather interesting interview last week where he sort of uh, suggested his translator just say whatever he wants about uh, about his future. Uh, looks like he could be off PSG. Reportedly, the most likely destination. There is, of course, uh, an offer of 75 million euros apparently on the table from China as well. Uh, PSG, Chris, you reckon that could be a good shout for Aubameyang? I mean, he's 27 now. Uh, just had his best ever season at Dortmund in terms of in terms of his scoring record. Linking up with Cavani in Liga, that could be a, a nice nice matchup. It's it's a, a curious one with him because I remember many years ago he said that he would only sign for Real Madrid. Because that it's was a, a promise he'd made to us. Uh, yeah, it seems that way. Um, I think it's a good deal for PSG because I think it helps them reassert the dominance in France um, because I think he will get goals upon goals upon goals in the league. The Champions League for me is also a huge issue for, for PSG. Whether he can fire them to the, the top end of that, that's a, a different question. I think, honestly, looking at PSG for, for the last 18 to 24 months, the transfer strategy has struck me as a little bit scattergun. It's just acquiring good players, not actually looking at the the whole picture and, and where they all fit in with each other. Um, I think they've tried to move towards the future with guys like Lo Celso. Aubameyang would give you a little bit of a future because, as you say, he's 27. So... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. He's got, I would say, maybe four, even five years left in him um, at the top level, at least. So I think yeah, it's, it's a good deal. 
it's probably a fair time for Dortmund to cash in. It's just replacing him is the difficult thing. That's what I always say when when people talk about the figures, say they get 70, 80 million. Mm. That's all well and good, but then you've got to find a replacement that, again, is not only a very good striker, but, but fits the system. You saw the struggles they had with Chiro Mobile. That was a player that was scoring goals, but just didn't translate to the Bundesliga. So can you buy internally? Maybe not. You have to try and look abroad. It's, it's a difficult one. Finally, Dave, Wilfried Zahar has signed a new five-year deal with Crystal Palace, uh, ending speculation every potential move to Spurs, saying, Palace is in my heart, and I don't think the story is over. Do you think it's the, the right move for Zaha, Dave? Um, it's mad. Super Sam's gone. What, what, what are you playing at? I don't know. Even with Sam gone, he's, he's, he's sticking around. He, he's obviously... I, I, you know, mental. You know, as soon as Sam goes, I'll be jumping ship. I'll be putting a transfer request in ASAP. Let's get on to Big Sam in the questions. Mm, okay. I've got a lot to say about Big Sam. Straight off the bat, um, we've got Ben Gibson asking, what do you make of Big Sam's announcement that he's leaving Crystal Palace? seems to be retiring from the game. It was all a bit curious earlier this week. I think uh, the club were as surprised as, uh, as everyone else. But Big Sam, Chris, has left Crystal Palace. Uh, he says he's got no ambitions to, t- to take another job. Um, was expected to carry on, you know, build upon uh, surviving the Premier League this season. But he says now he wants to be able to save a life. He wants to travel and he wants to spend more time with his family. You know, very noble uh, motives there. But Big Sam quitting Crystal Palace, this, this is a shock, isn't it? Yeah, there's there's been a lot of different perspectives on this one and, and it's been quite funny to watch because there are cynics who say that Allardyce knows he can make more money as a gun for hire and someone that can maybe come in, I don't know, late autumn, early winter and help a team that's starred and struggling and wants to just consolidate and stay in the league. I think also that there is part of me that believes what he says. Uh, I, I don't think he's done in management for good. I think he'll come back at some point. But I think the idea that he needs a break is, is very believable because, firstly, he's operating at the the very stressful end of the Premier League in terms of relegation where there's a lot on the line. There's actually jobs on the line as well. You know, if, I don't think people realise that, that when a club gets relegated, yes, it lets go of its good players, but also you tend to have to make cuts in in the what, what in America they call the front office as well, so admin staff, people like that. Yeah. Um, and I think just... Just hearing him talk about it, I think actually it's quite noble that he's that he's done that. Um, ignoring kind of what his legacy is and all that kind of thing, I think it's very admirable that he's got the self-awareness and, and has taken a decision for his health more than anything. Oh yeah, it must be an incredibly stressful job being a Premier League manager. The hours must be absolutely ridiculous. You've got no time to yourself and with your family, as he's, he's sort of saying there, that's what he wants to, to focus more time on. Uh, Dave, what do you make of it all? I think firstly, it's sad if he's retiring. He's a he's a fantastic manager, and he's shown in the Premier League and that he can fight a relegation battle. But I think it, it, the stress could be a big thing there. Um, there was other rumours that there was issues with transfers and, and so forth. But if if that's the, the the issue with Palace, then potentially they should have just let Sam Allardyce do what he's going to do because his record was really good. You know, taking over um, around January, their form was absolutely atrocious. Took uh, two months to get the form back together, but then went on to win forty percent of his games. 25 points uh, that they won, six clean sheets, and of course won that relegation battle. So I think it's it's a top job that he's done again at one of these clubs, and it would be a commitment for Palace to, to you know to give him that cash to see if he can turn another club into a Bolton. But maybe that's what Palace kind of need, because again, if they don't get Marcus Silva, who's been heavily linked with them, that would be a fantastic appointment. If they had Allardyce and now they've got Silva, then that's good business. If they're already talking to him, fair play. Um but it just seems like Sam Allardyce got Palace defensively absolutely perfect and, and kept them in the Premier League, which is worth X amount of money. You know what I mean? And it's this thing whether what Palace want to do as a club, where do they want to go next? I think it's it's got to be a big call from the board. I think teams, they need a, they need a direction. And with Palace having Pardew, now having Allardyce, that's a bit scattergun. If they go to silver now, that's completely scattergun. Are they going to stick with the silver approach in the future? Big questions. Hmm. Marco Silva will be an interesting one. Apparently, he's got an offer from uh, from Watford as well. But I think uh, Crystal Palace may well be the more attractive option there, uh, considering the life lifespan of a Watford coach as it stands. Uh, next question is from LFC Commentary. Q for the pod. Does David Moyes need to follow Brendan Rodgers' example and head to Scotland? 
to resurrect his career. He's a former Celtic man, so Rangers may be tough, but Aberdeen, Hearts, Hibs, Dundee. What do you reckon, Chris? I feel like Brendan Rodgers, uh, I don't want to say resurrecting his career, but certainly boosting his reputation somewhat with his, with his achievements at Celtic, on for the treble. Uh, remains to be seen if they win the uh, Scottish Cup final against Aberdeen this weekend. But unless you're at Celtic, is there really the opportunity to, to enhance your reputation in the way that, that Rodgers has? Um, the thing is, often when I see people talk about Celtic, it's usually followed by the fact that it's a, a one-team league or whatever. I think... I think he's found happiness, though, because I think he's appreciated and he's respected. And I think he set himself in a position, Rogers, where he is the figurehead. He's not bigger than Celtic, but he is almost a conduit for the club from, from fans to players. And that might sound grandiose and, and even a little farcical, but I think that's a, real, a, a role he really likes. I think that was one of the things that drew him to Liverpool was the fact that, again, mm. there was this storied history that he could could really tap into and invest mm. himself in, whether it was legitimate or whether it was um, him, you know, trying to, to win favour. He still seemed to take uh, a lot of pride and, and respect in it. For Moyes, I think, see, the thing is, Rogers' methods weren't necessarily the issue. They worked very well. You know, you had Luis Suarez, who was one of the best at the time, and that got them to second. The thing is with Moyes, his methods just don't work. Um, I wrote something about him and, and how everything he did wrong at Man United, he's still doing now. Granted, some of those things don't influence as much. Like He can talk about Sunderland in much lesser terms than he could at Man United. He couldn't say, for example, like we aspire to be like or play like Man City, saying that Liverpool were favourites when they came to Old Trafford. You can do that at Sunderland because expectations aren't nearly as high. What you can't do is consistently sit deep and defend and not try to form anything in the final third. And then also have a contacts book that's pretty much a pamphlet. Because there was five Everton players that came in, or five former Everton players that came in for him. And look, don't get me wrong, money was incredibly tight. Saying that, they still spent an obscene amount of money on Didier and Dong, who looked good but was overpriced because of when they shopped for him. Paddy McNair was five, six million. Uh, Donald Love was a million, so I'm I'm not necessarily buying that that he was that hamstrung when you've got someone like Marco Silva who, yes, totally agree, also got relegated, didn't do what he was supposed to do, but still seemed to get more for his money. Carlos Salvador sent in two great questions this week, uh, two very different but very interesting questions. Uh, first up, he's asking what our favourite. Let me just get this. Uh, he's asking what. What are our top five games across Europe this season? Let's just, you know, for, for brevity's sake, let's just say our favourite game this season uh, that we saw. Uh, for me, it's an obvious one, but it's got to be the the Barca 6 PSG 1 result. That comeback in the Champions League was just insane. felt like you were witnessing history as you watched it. Incredibly entertaining as well. Uh, what do you reckon, Chris? What was your favourite game this season? Wow, favourite game. Um... Big question, big question. Carlos says uh, Barca 6, PSG 1. He's also gone for Barca 3, Real Madrid 2. That was, of course, the game where Messi scored the uh, last-minute winner, held his shirt up to the yeah, crowd. Yeah, that's a good um, shout. Monaco Man City was good. Yeah, he, he said that one as well. For City 5, Monaco 3 was a great one. Um, he's also chosen Dortmund 8, Liege Warsaw 4, and Sevilla 6, Espanyol 4. So big scoring games. There was a lot of entertaining, especially in Champions League. There's actually a lot of high-scoring, entertaining games. Um, Dave, have you got a favourite game this season? Um, I, I like the, the the City Monaco. Both those legs were fantastic. Mm. I think the the Barca game was just incredible. That yeah. was an incredible game of football tactics, as well as it being a high-scoring game. Tactically, was very very heavy as well. Quite like um, quite enjoyed Juventus's performance against Monaco. Thought that was very very good. I think the uh, made my favourite though is going to be the. The second leg with Real versus Atletico, or the first, like the wow. combined of that tie was fantastic. That was a brilliant game of football. So I don't know if it's just a single game. I'd say either the City Monaco Champions League the tie. two ties, or the mm. or the even the PSG Barca tie, or the Real Madrid Atletico tie. I think we're really seeing a, a top top level of football this season. We're seeing some fantastic games, and again, the final is going to be brilliant. 
Chris, have you settled on a on a favourite game? Uh, I would say, I would say Monaco Man City personally. Mm. Um, yeah, I would say that. Uh, Carlos has other question. He's gone down a completely different route here, but he says uh, if you had to pick one player from your team, team you support, to join you and your missus in a freeway, who would you pick? I thought about it. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah, he's got he's he's gone from one like yeah, very football question to this is out there. Oh, uh, Jesus. He's thought about it, Carlos, uh, a Barcelona fan, and he said he would pick Don Andres Iniesta. Um, crying, laughing emoji. Uh, if you had to pick one player from your team you support to join you and your missus in a freeway, who would you pick? I mean, Xabi Alonso is the man that springs to mind, but he's not on my team. You know, he's the answer to every <laughs> question. Xabi, you know, he's a, he's a handsome man. I can appreciate that. Um, from the Spurs squad, no. Victor Wanyama. Victor Wanyama. He'd give you protection, though. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's one way of looking at it. Um, Maybe Hugo Lloris, he seems a bit of a gentleman. Is there anyone from the, the Manchester United squad <laughs> taking your fancy date? <laughs> no, I'd pick out and be like, you know what? You can shag my missus. Well, maybe he's Latin Rich. Have you seen the, the picture that's going round of exactly. Latin taking a selfie in exactly. front of that? That's what you could that's go brilliant. for. So let's go with Latin. Go for Zlatan. If if uh, most Manchester United fans are apparently willing to, to let that happen. Uh, Chris, anyone from the Newcastle squad who would uh, tickle your fancy? Um... <laughs> Don't say, John uh, Joe. Don't say John J. Joe. Yeah, don't say John J. Joe. No, I was going to say DeAndre Edlin. Yeah, any particular reason? Yeah. Be over quickly. Uh, uh, I would imagine it'd be quite the opposite with DeAndre actually. Um, but <laughs> he's all yeah, about speed, you know. He is, but uh, yeah, I, I just imagine he's a very uh, tender lover. <laughs> on that note, let's move swiftly on. Um, Question here from uh, Justin Funderlager. Always sending in the good questions. On a scale of one to be my best man, how much does Statman Dave love Anthony Martial? Yeah, I love Tony. Tony's a bloody legend. Um, best man? If, if I were to pick a best man out of the United squad, who would I go with? That's another good question I've just come up it with. Um, we'll go through your teams in a second. Best man at a wedding with Man United? I quite like... I reckon Pogba would have some good lines, but I quite like Jess Lingard. Yeah. Seems like he seems like a good guy. So I think Jess Lingard organising the, the stag do as well. Though you've got to think about that. You know? That's true. Pogba's uh, stag do and Zlatan's stag do. Now that would be, be pretty great. Zlatan would be a great best man. I can't see what Wayne Rooney's like as a best man as well. That would be very interesting. I I think I'd go for Eric Dyer. I love Eric Dyer. Eric Dyer loves me. You know, he I think he'd be great fun if he was organising a stag do. If you, if you had him around, he'd be a great laugh. So I'll go for Eric Dyer. It's going to be a best man. I, I, I like this one more than the previous question. Um, Chris, what, what are you saying? Best man from the Newcastle squad? Uh, best man? Oh, this is a good one. Mitrovic. Oof. Oof. That is one hell of a stag do. Fire. Pure fire. Uh, Probably wouldn't even make the wedding, to be fair. Yeah. Uh, question here from Brad Usher. Uh, what position would Celtic finish in? If they were in the Premier League, back to Scotland, Chris, uh, you know it's, it's been much, you know, touted. One day, perhaps they could join the Premier League. Um, if they joined this season, if we had Brendan Rodgers there, hypothetically speaking, if they'd just played out the last campaign with that squad, with that manager, uh, they finished unbeaten in the Scottish Scottish League. But where would they finish in the Premier League? What were we thinking? Maybe I don't know. I'm tempted to say sort of mid-table-ish, anywhere between 7th and 11th, something like that. Yeah, it's a really easy way to offend Celtic fans or earn criticism from a Premier League fan. Is it based entirely on the squad they've got now? Yeah, let's just say, if that exact squad... I think they could make the top six, definitely. Really? Okay. Dave, would you agree with that? Do you think they would have, if they were in the, in the Premier League this season, they would have made a top six push? Uh, don't think so. Not with the current squad. But I think I think the thing with Celtic, I I like the the history of the club, um, and I'd like them to, you know, push on with Brendan Rodgers. I'd like them to bring through some more young players. You know, the thing I, I researched a while ago, Scotland have got like a such a small amount of UEFA A coaches and UEFA B coaches. That's the reason why they're not producing talent. They're not producing the coaches, and it's a big shame. Maybe Brendan Rodgers can buck that trend and, and get some more, um, you know, Scottish coaches coming through and so forth. You know. 
aspiring to be how Celtic play and so forth. But I'd say, yeah, mid-table. Um, I think they do fine. I think at home they'd be really good. Really good at home. It'd be such a tough away day. Like Burnley. Ollie, Ollie Shep, 97, says, On my third year as a season ticket holder at Man City, should I be worried that Pep will ship me off to West Ham or other teams? Uh, a lot of players <laughs> being let go in the past week. Uh, Chris, uh, Willie Caballero leaving today. Pablo Zabaleta has left. He's gone off to uh, to West Ham. Gal Clichy, I think, has gone as well. as uh, a lot of outgoings at Manchester City at the moment. There is, but it's needed massively. I think... Just from an, an age perspective, a lot of the players you, you mentioned were were in the final chapters of their career and, and really couldn't contribute. And, and even if you kept them as backups on the, the wages they were at, it, it just didn't make any type of, of financial sense. So I'm not terribly surprised that they've gone. I think it is very much ushering in the, the new generation of Man City, hopefully, as I've said before, with a couple of youth players as well. Because I think for the, the investment they've had on that academy, it will need to start uh, actually producing something fairly soon. Uh, Ajnan uh, at 28L51 said, since the window is about to open, what bollocks transfer story will be the most talked about this year? It's a great question. I mean, we've already talked some transfer tattle, Dave. Uh, Antoine Griezmann to Man United, that looks like it's going to be wrapped up pretty soon. I think the Aubameyang one might get wrapped up sooner or later as well. What's going to be the one, the saga that drags on all summer and that we're all bored on? What's going to be this summer's Paul Pogba's Manchester United story that never ends. Is it Eden Hazard to Real Madrid, maybe, something like that? That could be a good one. I think James Rodriguez, wherever he goes, I think James Rodriguez is going to be the one that everyone's annoyed about. Um, you know, the, whatever reports coming in and out of Manchester United saying he's not there, wherever he ends up, will be an interesting one. You know, are, are, is the club willing to pay X amount of money for him? Because he's going to be very expensive. I think that's the thing Real Madrid have kind of done quite badly, is that they kind of want to get rid of him, but now they want to get the right amount of money for him. And does a club want to go and, um, and sign a player that's uh, you know played X amount of games this season? You know, nowhere near where he should be playing. I think he's played less than one thousand five hundred minutes, which is pretty poor. Um, so it's going to be an interesting one. That I think Balotti's going to be an interesting one. I think that's going to be a saga. I reckon he'll end up at AC Milan uh, or Inter Milan, one of the Milan clubs. But I reckon that you know he's heavily linked with United, heavily linked with um, Chelsea. But I think he'll stay in Italy. That could get annoying though. <laughs> Varun Joshi, friend of the show, says, Can Ajax be back to their old best based on their talent now, or will they become a feeder club for big teams or neither? What do you reckon, Chris? The, the difficulty in doing that is you have, you have to basically form continuity and keep finding the talent yourself. Um, I think they can go for at least another 12, 18 months to a high level. Um, because it seems like already they are preparing. Like you look at the Neres signing, um, that for me was a little bit of forward planning because I think they're expecting to to lose someone. The the other thing as well is, and I think we'll probably see this with Monaco, who were in a similar boat. The the key for me is not to sell too many at once. So almost have a, a very open line of communication with your players and say right. You know, this player can go there. Or the, you know, when, when Modric uh, agreed that he would stay for one more year before he left Spurs, mm-hmm. a similar sort of agreement to that, in so much as you make it abundantly clear when you will look to sell the players. And then I think not only does that get the best out of them, because then, okay, this is the year that I potentially move, so I have to, to be at my peak. I think also it lets you plan and prepare for the next wave of, of players that you're going to need. Um question here from Lioraz Kazov what next for Zlatan will he make Adam's hair blonde next year um, what is next for Zlatan first up Dave um, I mean as you mentioned earlier some United fans willing to go to extreme lengths in order to try and convince him to sign a new contract mm. uh, to stay at the club do you think he could be off to potentially MLS with it maybe being his last season given the, the injuries suffered I don't think it'll be his last season. I think the thing was last time is he's so fit for his age. So I don't think this will end his career. It's a it's a bad one, um, but I don't think it'll be there. Maybe he'll lose a yard of pace, but he already wasn't that quick. It was more about his movement, his timing of his runs that, that got him behind so frequently for Manchester United. For United, I think they should definitely move on from Zlatan Ibrahimovic. I think this is the right time. Like I was saying about Paul Pogba needs to become the guy now. If Zlatan's still there, Zlatan will be the guy. So I think with for United to move on, United transitions to this next phase. 
under Mourinho, it's time for them not to sign Zlatan. So the MLS could be uh, a good place to go. But, you know, we could do a job in Italy. It could be fantastic in Italy, going back to AC Milan, maybe. Um, the pace of the league there isn't as, as, as you know frenetic as the Premier League or... You know, there's a lot of places that can go. Still, he's still a top-class player. Maybe to Naples, um, mm. that'd be well. You know, that'd be really interesting in their their style of football with Zlatan as a, as a number nine. Um, so I think he's got one more European club in it. Even though he said that he doesn't want to sign for another European club, I think Italy would be perfect for him. Will he make me go blonde next year, though? Uh, probably not. He's made you go blonde this year, Dave. You are officially next week going to be bleach blonde, uh, as it stands. Excited. I don't know what you're talking about Adam. I'm going to um, reject <laughs> the rumours. It's definitely happening. Uh, will he make me go? But I think next year, if we have a bet on on the outcome of next season, you know, it, it'll come up. It'll be a spur in a moment. Will it be top scorer? Will it be who finishes higher? What will the forfeit be? It's all to be decided. I think we've got to move on from bleach blonde though. We've got to go to the next level. I'm thinking tattoos. You know. <laughs> that's so funny would I would you know Dave <laughs> I was like you Bleach Blonde that's pretty far <laughs> then you were like then you just took it to another level yeah you've got to keep you just got to keep going up and up and up I mean you know next year Dave want, like, who's going to finish high Manchester United or Spurs the loser has to get the opposition's team badge tattooed on them I, I already to... told you that I'm not partaking in the bet next year you're not partaking I've, in, uh, in the bet I, I've, I've lost terribly okay. this year and I've had to do some negotiation work with the girlfriend and it's yeah, uh, yeah. been an interesting time Tattoos would be, I mean, you know, let's see how it goes. I'm not, I'll, I'll not commit into anything yet. I mean, Chris, would you be up for a ridiculous forfeit that would potentially scar your body for life? I mean, that's what this podcast is, really, isn't it? In many ways, the, we all bear in certain scars uh, from it. But yeah, maybe we'll see. We'll see what happens, guys. You'll see what happens in the in the preview to this season. I'm sure we'll come up with something equally ridiculous, and I'll hopefully manage to escape any sort of punishment once again. Uh, through the grace of someone getting injured, which was always good. It's lucky. I was a lucky man. Uh, moving on. James Halloran, number three, says, why is Claude Puel escaping criticism from the media, yet he's under so much pressure from the fans and board? It's an interesting one, this, Chris. Uh, perception among the fans is that they're not satisfied with the job he's, he's been doing, but to everyone else from the outside, it looks like you know he, he did what was almost expected of him. Is that is that the problem that it was par for the course as opposed to any sort of improvement upon the previous season? What do you mean by expected of him? In terms of Southampton finishing where they finished, you know they didn't overexceed expectations. They didn't necessarily, I wouldn't say, underperform. Um, yeah, hmm. there just seems to be some dissatisfaction among Southampton fans. <laughs> is this a longer term thing where over the last couple of years they're expecting more? evolution more progress and it hasn't quite happened yet i think what I, it's, it's a funny one because i actually said that um i think i defended him quite recently and then i saw that they hadn't had the greatest end of season um and in fact it had been quite terrible so i, th I think yes there's, there's a need for progress how you necessarily define that is difficult because they've made um the I would say they've made some progress. You know, they've made. Um, I, I think ultimately he's not the man for the job, though. To say all of that because uh, I don't believe, as it stands, he can take them any further than he has, and it doesn't sound like he's backed in the first place by the supporters. And I think as soon as that happens, you're on a very slippery slope to to trouble. Hmm. Uh, Harvey Barca Titi. 23 says, why does everyone hate on the Europa League? For me, the Europa is a good competition and many quality players are in it. Um, the truth is, Dave, no one, no one really cares, right? It's all about qualifying for the Champions Absolute League. Absolute rubbish. No See, I, I, I agree with, with Ted Listener. I think he makes a very valid point and I don't know why the Europa League has pushed aside. There's been some brilliant teams over the years that have won the Europa League, some very exciting teams. And yeah, it's not the Champions League, but it's still good. It's not going to be the quality of the Champions League, but I think you'll get a team that will go on a run that will be really exciting. Like Ajax, this season, were a great story. We had Zenit before with um, Arshavin. That was a team that I will remember forever. That was a fantastic team going forward. Think of what Sevilla have done recently in the Europa League. So many good sides. Uh, Unai Emery every year building a side that's capable of winning that tournament. And it's, it's a good competition. It's just regard. I don't know, because in a way, football's just got to this point now where if you're not like winning the best of the best, you're rubbish. You're not doing everything, you're rubbish, you know. And it's one of these things where maybe it's as fans we need to look at ourselves and start 
enjoying the Europa League and enjoying the <laughs> EFL Cup and taking it for the trophy that it is, Adam, right? <laughs> Mate, the EFL Cup, don't get me started. Or, or do you think coming second in the Premier League and above Arsenal is you know, really what you want to be doing every year? Listen, I think each, you have to judge each team by its own merits and its own expectations and its own resources. I don't think... I think it's almost a false equivalency. Yeah. For, for Spurs to finish second and to finish above Arsenal is an achievement for that club. Um, I don't think it should be dismissed just because they haven't won a trophy. At the same time, you know, it's fair to say that silverware uh, is something that defines the history of the club. I mean, it's something that adds to the the tally, adds to the the storied success of your team. But at the same time, I think you know, like I say, you have to judge each team by its own merits, Dave. And on that mark. <laughs> <laughs> on that rubbish mate absolute that, rubbish you, no. you judge the team's success by winning trophies full no, stop no, you, judge by, you judge it that's by its it, own that's merits that's a wrap today <laughs> you don't judge for example uh, West Brom on, on how many trophies they've won you, you judge them by a different set of criteria you know, each team deserves to be judged by its own in its own respect I think um, but speaking of which Cameron Sager's written in to say how safe is the future of Tottenham Hotspur they seem a lock for a few trophies, but would struggles next year in the Premier League and Champions League cause it all to fall apart? I mean, we did mention this earlier. We've spoken about it in previous weeks, but I think you know next season is a massive season for Spurs, and they do need to win a trophy and they need to show progress uh, in certain areas. I think progress in the Champions League, uh, you know, challenging again for the Premier League title and adding a trophy to that, if it's the Premier League, if it's the FA Cup, I think would be. Uh, a sign of progress. If they don't do that, I think you may well see the likes of, of Delhi Alley potentially itching for a move. Uh, the likes of Eric Dyer, maybe. Um, but, and again, it all comes down to the manager. I think if Richard Pochettino stays, I think Spurs are in a very good position. Uh, that new stadium coming in in 2018-19 as well is going to be fantastic. I think you know maybe you'll see certain players stick around for the, for at least one more season of that. Um, if there is sort of that dissatisfaction among the squad, but I'm very confident and I'm very hopeful. You know, next year we can build upon. Uh, what again has been a fantastic season because I think people were doubting Spurs not only the start of this season but the start of last season. We've challenged for the title two seasons in a row. Now it's time to make good on that and either win the league uh, or win something. You know, show some progress. Anyway, moving swiftly on, the final question of the week. Let's give it to Luke Dor at Black Shadow One Seven Nine. The previous hole of the week, he says, "Who is the biggest lightweight?" When it comes to alcohol, it's a great question, Luke. Uh, the answer is not me. Uh, I think it's fair to say I can put away a few of those pints. Yes. Uh, big man, you know, uh, I can do that. Uh, <laughs> I'd say Lawrence isn't a big drinker. I'd, I'd be reluctant to say he's a lightweight. He's just not a big like drinker, you know. Um, Dave, you can you, you you can probably put away a few, can you? Yeah, it depends on what form I'm, if I'm in goal scoring form or not. I mean, so basically, that means if I've been like boozing for it, like, you know, if, if I'm over a month, let's say, if you go into the pub like two times, three times a week, yeah, and get into some real good rhythm, but then if I'm you out of rhythm, form, really, you find in form, yeah, you know what I mean, finding form. If I'm out of rhythm, it's uh, you know, it's not as good. What's your uh, your beer completion stats for the for the past week? It was at 100% yeah. on, um, on on Wednesday evening for Man United. I also completed a few shots as well. Yeah. Um, yes. But then, unfortunately, it came back up. So yeah. whether yeah. that's reduced or the completion rate falls, <laughs> yeah, sure. I do not know. I think so, yeah, you know, a you... big shout-out to the girlfriend for being <laughs> such a hero on, in the early hours of Thursday morning. So your beer completion rate was 100%, but it swiftly went down to, to 90%, maybe 80%, you know, at, uh, yeah. at a later stage of Wow. Interesting, uh, Chris. Are you are you a, a big pint man? You can can you put away the beers? Are you a, are you a lad? Uh, I would say probably not. No, not a, not a lad. You can't put away ten pints standard. I don't really drink, if I'm honest. Oh, you're like. I, I mean, I can drink, but I just don't. <laughs> that's, I can. That's yeah. The, yeah. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. I just find it leaves me feeling like if I drink uh, beer, I just find I'm left like really bloated and like heavy. Yeah, I feel um, like a god if I drink beer. I feel great. So yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll have I'll have spirits now and again, but not. What's your not like, What's your poison of choice, Chris? Uh, usually whiskey, actually. Wow. Yeah, I like that. I like that. It's a tasty little drink. Uh, Dave, what's your uh, your your choice of uh, beverage? Beer, isn't it? Beer, yeah. 
Perona. Just because you're a lad, mate. It's out of the bottle. It's oh, yeah. unbelievable. On a day like this, on a beautiful summer's day, it's a bit of cold, ice cold mm. Peroni. Lovely. Um, guys, that does bring an end to the Front Free Q&A podcast. Hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have enjoyed recording it. Uh, we're going to be back on Monday reviewing all of the uh, the cup finals action from around Europe. Not only the FA Cup, um, as we mentioned earlier, the Scottish Cup's on. We've got uh, the German Cup, the French Cup, Copa del Rey as well. So we'll be chatting about all that, as well as, no doubt, some more transfer news as it begins to hot up as we approach the summer window. For now, though, Dave, been a pleasure speaking to you. Um, mm. Where can people find you until Monday? Um, I, I don't know. I still have this hangover problem. Um, yeah. It needs to be resolved. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'm going to do a video on my channel on, on the EFO Cup, uh, the Europa League Cup final, sorry. So make sure you go and check that out. Um, it should be out today or tomorrow or whenever I don't feel hungover anymore. Yeah, good shout, good shout. Go and check that out, guys, on the Statman Dave YouTube channel. Uh, Chris, where can people find more of you? Have you any interesting articles that people should be checking out? Yeah, I've got an interview with DeAndre Yedlin. A uh, piece on Moyes that I mentioned there. And then also something with Unibet about David Wagner ahead of Monday's playoff final. Fantastic. Have you, have you already interviewed DeAndre yet? This has already been... Yes, I managed to catch him uh, on the, the last day of the season with the, the medal still around his neck. So are you going to sort of try and insert into the article now about how you know he's, he's your dream Newcastle squad member to be in a threesome? Is that Thankfully, it's already been written, so I don't oh, have to... Uh... <laughs> Thankfully. And plus, I've got such a tight word limit, which is not a euphemism. <laughs> um, I wouldn't want to broach on homoeroticism. Oh, oh dear. Uh, guys, you can follow me on... Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Twitter at Adam Boltwood. Until Monday, have a fantastic weekend and enjoy the football.